The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. It's okay. When we went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. If it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. We are glad that you're here uh, this morning at Restoration. Uh, if this is your first time, we love to know our people. So you can find myself, Jared, uh, Sammy, Marnie, whoever. Um, come say, hey, we love to know uh, names, faces, stories. Um, so we're looking at this morning at Mark. We've been going through uh, Mark in the fall and then also in the spring. And this morning we see a story that's familiar. It's one that um, you don't have to be well acquainted with Christianity to have even a, just an idea of what it's uh, about or haven't heard it before. And it's feeding the 5,000. And it's this certainly um, miraculous marquee moment that Jesus does something profound. He feeds 5,000 people and the food multiplies. And that's not the point of the story. It is a story, but it's not the point of the story. What we see in this story that's familiar and and well-known is that Jesus, as Marnie put it this week, does everything with compassion. Nothing he does in this passage nor in his life is void of a compassionate intent and touch. What we see in this passage also is really why he came, why Jesus is, what he wants to do. And that's to satisfy his people with what he offers. And so with that in mind, uh, let's uh, look at this story, but begin with prayer as we ask Holy Spirit uh, to open our eyes to a familiar story. Let's pray. Lord, it can feel like a fairy tale. 
one that we know and if you give us the first couple words, we could finish the story. Lord, let it be a story that's um, a tall tale, but it's the most truest truth. Because it's one that speaks of a king that has come to tell the people what he brings and offers. It's compassion. It's rest. It's satisfaction. And so many other things. And this very day, Lord, would you meet us by Holy Spirit. Show us. Remind us. Comfort us. We ask all in your name, Christ. Amen. So this morning, as we look at the passage, we'll look at three things uh, in the passage. We'll see, uh, first, how we come. Second, what he asks. And third, uh, what he gives. So first, uh, how we come. This is Mark 6, kind of a few verses in. At the beginning of Mark 6, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, um, you need to go out. Tell the watching world and the the region around us, tell them about me. Tell them who I am and what I've I've done and what, what I'm about. Tell them about what kingdom I'm bringing. And they do that. They go and they heal people and drive demons out and do all these miraculous things all to to usher in and help show the reality of Jesus' kingdom. And then after that section, we see a section um, that asks the question of, who is Jesus? And we see Herod asking the question, King Herod, who is Jesus? Is Jesus John the Baptist, the one that I killed? And then it goes on, on kind of an aside, a narrative aside, and tells us how Herod killed John the Baptist. How Herod was having this party and his wife's daughter was dancing and he was pleased by it and said, ask me for whatever you want. And the daughter goes back to her mom and says, kill John the Baptist. And so she asks for it. And Herod says, my hands are tied. Kills John the Baptist, someone he knew well. And then we see this story. A feast, a party that contrasts with Herod's party, Herod's feast. And it's one that's different. And it's one where... Uh, the disciples are coming back from their um, journey that they've been called to go out on and they come back to Jesus and they've done so much and they're telling Jesus about it and that's where it picks up. They're telling Jesus what they did when he sent them out. And in verse 30, it starts and says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And when they went away, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. They come to Jesus, they tell Jesus what they've done in light of the mission they've been sent on by Jesus, and they don't ask for anything. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, You're tired. Come away, let's rest. I see the need you have for rest. And so they're thinking, yes, we are so tired. So they get in the boat and they go off to uh, a different place, to a desolate place, it says. And as they're exhaling and saying, oh, it feels so good to stop, to rest and recalibrate, they pull up to the desolate place that they're bound for and they see this. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. They're exhaling. They're about to get their rest that they want so badly. They see a crowd, and Jesus doesn't uh, change ports and go somewhere else. He brings the boat ashore, gets off, sees a crowd, begins to teach. Now, if you were like me, and I see this happen, and I'm a disciple, I would quickly liken it to um, there are three people sitting on the couch that you so badly want to nap on. And you know, you're not going to nap. Nap is not in your future. You're tired, and that desire is going to be blocked for just a moment because Jesus has gone to teach them. He goes and he sees the people, this curious crowd, and he goes and teaches them. We see two groups of people here in this story. Fatigued followers. The disciples are following Jesus and and faithfully following Jesus, and they are so tired. Fatigued followers. And the other crowd that we see is the curious crowd. The people who have come and heard about Jesus, they've heard what can be done. They've heard of the healings and the the miracles and and what he's really about. And they're wondering, I wonder if it's true. And from different towns and, and places, they're coming and flocking ahead of the fact that Jesus is coming there. And they go to that place before he gets there. They're curious. They're seeking. They're wondering. Two crowds, fatigued followers, a curious crowd. Two very different kinds of people, and yet they share two uh, very important characteristics. And the first of which is that they both want something from Jesus. They both need something from Jesus. They have some kind of void that they are coming that has brought them to the point that they are, and they're saying, Jesus, can you do something about it? For the fatigued followers, the the disciples, they've gone and done all the stuff they've been asked to do. They've been sent out. And Jesus said, don't take money or food or two, two cloaks. Just go out. Just go do the mission I've sent you to do. And they do it. And they've come back and they're tired. They need rest. They're coming back to Jesus fatigued. Now for the curious crowd... They're coming to Jesus and wondering, I wonder if he's good enough. This this rumor is spreading all around the region, all around the area. And people are asking, who is Jesus? And I'm asking that same question. And I think the answer is maybe he's good enough and grand enough as I thought him to be. And I've heard that he is. I'm seeking after Jesus. I wonder if what he's done to other people, he can do in my life. You... Come with something. You have some want, some need, some void that you don't, you didn't just show up in a room this morning. But you have something you want from Jesus. You have something that you need from Jesus. You have some void that you long this morning. It could be large, it could be minute, but you want answered by Jesus because maybe you're a fatigued follower. Maybe you have been a Christian a long time and you have been walking the road, and you are just tired. You're tired of a lack of normalcy of the past two years. Uh, You're tired of a relational demolition derby that you're in. You're tired of being tired. You're feeling destitute from the depression you feel. 
Your anxiety is just, um, just repeating itself over and over. You're fighting for the good things in your life and the tank is empty. You are tired. You're, you want rest from Jesus. Maybe you're like the curious crowd and wondering, I've heard or maybe an experienced the Christian life before and it's a farce. But maybe actually it's, there's something good in it after all. Maybe it's actually uh, something that I really do need after all because I've gone elsewhere. And yet I've walked back into here because I'm a curious member of the crowd. I'm seeking after something that maybe it's true after all. We all have something we want from Jesus. So this very day, I ask you the question of what is the void in which you walk into this room with? Just like those two different crowds walked and met Jesus, longing for him to meet the void that they were in. Yes, they have a void, but, but also the other characteristic that they, they share, the curious crowd, the, the, the fatigued followers. Other characteristic that they share is the fact that the person of Jesus looks at them and knows exactly what they need. He knows exactly what each of them needs. Two different groups, two different prescriptions. The fatigued followers, they're, they're hungry and they're tired and they come to Jesus at the beginning and they don't even ask for rest. The text doesn't say that. The text says that Jesus looked at them and said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest for a while. He's saying, good job. Thank you for all you've done. Come rest. Let me give you rest. And for the curious crowd, it says that that he looked at this crowd that that he went up to and the prescription that he gave, that the need he perceived in them It says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Now, sheep without a shepherd is not just some colloquial saying, some Christianese word. It's actually in the Bible. In Numbers um, 27, we hear about this. It's the fourth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. And Moses is leading the people and Moses is talking to God and Moses is saying to God, Lord, I need someone to succeed me. I need someone to come after me because the Israelites need a leader. They need to be told when to go in and when to go out, when to do things. They don't need to be sheep without a shepherd. And then we hear Jesus talk about this in Luke 15 when he talks about the the, the lost sheep. There's a hundred sheep and a sheep wanders off. And the shepherd leaves the 99 for the one, takes the one, when he finds it, puts it on his shoulders, walks back to his friends, and they throw a party because the one has been found and brought back. You hear it in John 10. I am the good shepherd and I will lay my life down for my sheep. It's not just a Christianese saying. Jesus is reminding them, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one uh, who, who left the 99 for the one. I'm the one that Moses talked about, that the people need a leader. And yes, the leader is here. I'm here to be the shepherd. And as the shepherd, what does he feel towards his sheep? Verse 34, he had compassion on them. Compassion. Um, over a hundred years ago, lived a theologian by the name of B.B. Warfield. And B.B. Warfield was the president of Harvard, uh, not Harvard, Princeton. Um, Harvard, yeah, sure. <laughs> Princeton. Um, 
Harvard's overrated. I'm just I don't know that. Um, uh, he was a president of Princeton. He was a wise uh, mind, a theological mind. And he said this when it comes to this passage. He wrote a book that looked at the emotional life of Jesus called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And he said, the emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to that Jesus, whose whole life was a mission of mercy, whose ministry was so marked by deeds of beneficence, that it was summed up in the memory of his followers as a going through the land doing good, is no doubt compassion. In point of fact, this is the emotion which is most frequently attributed to him. What is he saying? He's saying all the disciples writing about Jesus, looking at him, going about, encountering people. What do they mark his encountering and doing good with the people he comes across? Compassion. What's the word most often used to talk about Jesus? Compassion. A word that's not just um, a characteristic or an attribute. It's a word that's so loaded that it says, he doesn't just feel it, it's a part of his core. Colossians 1 says, in the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. So what we see in Jesus, we see in God. What do we see in Jesus? A compassion that's at the core of his body. Jesus looks at everyone and he sees compassion because he sees sheep without a shepherd and he longs to be a compassionate shepherd. When we were growing up in my family, we would drive from Nashville to Clearwater and my grandparents lived in Clearwater. Now that's a long journey. It's 12 hours. And so the six kids and my parents, eight of us, that's how you do math, uh, pile in a suburban and we would drive the 12 hours all of the all of the twelve, you count them up. That's twelve. A lot of them, a lot of the hours, down I seventy five to Clearwater, Florida, to thirteen hundred Palmview Avenue. Now, if you've ever driven with uh, anyone in the car during the day, um, especially six kids, it's a nightmare. And so they would often drive at nighttime. And uh, so we'd be in the car, and I would fall asleep in our driveway. I'd wake up going over the Bay Bridge and seeing the sunrise and getting so excited for my grandparents' house. And my parents had driven all night long and we pull into 1300 Palmview Avenue and I would get out of the car and hug my grandparents and say, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so happy to be here. And I would run to the room, change and go jump in the pool and swim in the pool all day long. My parents would promptly put the car in park at the same time and walk past my grandparents with their head hanging low in a zombie form and they would plop in the bed and sleep for hours because they'd driven 12 hours during the night. The same place was the refuge for two different kinds of people. Rest for a t- fatigued, pooped parents in a world of curiosity that was fulfilled by being in a wonderful kingdom of a pool and my grandmother's food and my grandfather playing the organ. You get the picture. Fatigued followers longing for rest. A curious crowd wondering if, are you really that beautiful, Jesus? Are you really that good, Jesus? 
I don't know what of the two categories you're in this morning. Maybe you have some of one, some of the other two. But this morning, maybe you need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus looks at you, the God of all things, and he looks at you and he feels something so deep in his core because it's a part of who he is, and it's compassion. How do we come? We come with a void. And when he sees that need, when we come to him, he feels compassion towards us. You're not too much for him. So we come with compassion, but, but what does he ask of us? If you're a disciple, you're tired, you're hangry at this point. Uh, you are, uh, have gotten the shaft. You've been promised rest. You pull up to the place that you're supposed to get rest, and there's a crowd there of 5,000. It says 5,000, but actually that's 5,000 men. It's probably fifteen to 20,000. That's Finley Stadium filled up. You're not going to rest there. And so you realize as Jesus teaches this big, large crowd that he really does love, that you're not going to get rest or food. And so you probably should go to Jesus. And that's what they did. They had a kind of a a self-interested prompt that they gave Jesus to remind him, hey, we're pretty, pretty hungry, dude. So they go to him. Verse 41, it says, doesn't say that in verse 41. Verse 35. uh, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is the desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? They're saying, Jesus, send them away. There's 20,000, 15 to 20,000 people. We can't feed them. It's late in the day. We're hungry. They're hungry. Just send them away. And Jesus says, how about you feed them? Let's see. You, you, you go ahead and try to feed them. And they're like, no. It would cost us 200 denarii if we did that. That's eight or nine months of wages. We can't really, um, A, get that, B, distribute it, and C, have every one of them be happy. It's not just that they're, they're fiscally stingy, though they probably are. It's that, that it's impossible. We can't do what you're asking of us. We can't feed them. We can't feed them. And yet, Jesus is asking the question not to be deflective and saying, well, you try to do it. He's asking it to them and saying it to them because he's reminding them, these are sheep without a shepherd. They've gone everywhere else they could have gone. And they've landed here because they want some good news. They want to be fed. They've gone everywhere else to find life. And they're here asking me for life. They could not be in a better spot. Far be it for me to send them away. And then so Jesus realizes this, tells them, give them something to eat. They're like, that's crazy. He says, okay. In verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them, all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. 
Now, if you're a disciple and you're saying, hey, we can't feed him, Jesus. He's like, okay, well, how about you give me what you have, give me five loaves and the two fish that you have and sit everybody down. If you were a disciple, you'd be thinking, you're crazy. You're crazy. You can't be serious. This five loaves, two fish cannot feed 15 to 20,000 people. And again, it's a way in which Jesus is reminding them, you're right, it is crazy. It is ludicrous. You're right, it is out of options. You're right, you are optionless. You can't do anything to feed them. So what I'm going to ask you to do is for them to sit down. I'm not going to have them go try to feed themselves. The only thing I'm going to ask of them is to sit down. Sit down in the green grass. What does Jesus ask of the people there to rest, to be still, to sit down? It's actually the most gracious thing Jesus could do. They're tired, they're hungry, they're seeking after him. It would be crazy for him to send them away. It's the most gracious thing when you're stripped down to a particular need for you to stop Realize you have nothing to contribute, no no strings to pull. It's the most gracious thing for Jesus to say to you, I I know you don't. I'm not going to ask you to go uh, eat what you kill. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do is to sit down. Disciples, have everyone sit down and give me what you have. The person of Jesus comes to offer you something despite you you having nothing to offer. In the Old Testament, um, you don't have to be really growing up in Christianity or even know the Bible well to know that there's a psalm that King David writes and it's Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, it opens with the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What does Jesus see in these people? They're sheep without shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What, do we, what does he see in them? A desiring something I shall not want. What does he ask them to do? To sit down in the green grass. It says in Mark 6, what does Psalm 23 say? He lies me down in green pastures. It's not lost on Mark for him to show the fact to his audience and to us The God of all things is a shepherd that doesn't require anything of his people other than the requirement to do nothing. To sit and rest. To slow down. To take in what he has to offer. Six years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And one part of the treatment of that was chemotherapy. I had a wonderful doctor who I love and know, and he was a great blessing to me. And when I walked into his office, I didn't, I wasn't met by him saying, okay, well, you went and got a CAT scan or a CT scan or whatever I got done. He said, here's your scans. You should probably make a plan. Here are some vials and some chemicals you can shoot in after you make an IV in your arm, and you can come back in a few weeks, maybe a few months. Don't come back at all if you don't really want to. But I hope it goes well. You can feel the cruelty in that. It's 
tongue-in-cheek, but it's cruel. The only thing that my doctor required of me was to say, I see what I'm looking at, and I've got a plan to make you well. And here's what that plan requires of you. Absolutely nothing. You need to go and sit down at that recliner in the medical mall at Erlanger on the sixth floor, and I've got everything else done. You've come to the perfect place when you have nothing to offer. In fact, uh, to the point where your body's rebelling against it, and you're bound for a very tragic path, and I'm here to stop that. And all I'm asking you to do to live and to live well is to sit down, be still. I've got it all under control. Does the God that you have in your mind ask you to bring nothing to the table and to tell you to sit down in the green pasture and by the still waters so you can restore your soul? All of us need rest. We need rest uh, from from the requirements that we can't live up to. We need to rest from the worthlessness that we see in the mirror. We need to rest uh, from the fact that so much is being asked of us and we keep coming up short. We need to rest from the, from the demolition derby that we're in, in our relationships. We need to rest from the fatigue of so much being asked of us. The God of all things is a shepherd. And the God of all things says, I'm going to lay you down in the green grass. I'm going to lay you down in the green pastures. I'm going to ask you to sit in a chair and I'm going to do everything else. Where in your life are you optionless? You have no strings to pull. You have nothing to offer. You can't fix the problems in your life. You can't feed the 5,000, the 15,000 really. And all you have to do, all that's asked of you is to sit down because God can do everything else. And it's so easy to spin our wheels. The God of all things, yes, all things has compassion for you. The God of all things asks you to sit down. But it's important that we finish the story because up to now, he feels good feelings about you and he asks nothing of you, but that's what a dog does. And Jesus asks, brings us something better and different. And it's what he gives us. And it's our last, last idea. But Jesus gives us something. Again, there's 20,000 people and everybody's sitting down. And then we see Jesus do this. Verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing. He broke the, bre- broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Jesus takes what's given to him and gives thanks. Gives it, his, gives it to his disciples to give to other people. Uh, one 
smart mind, Alistair Begg, said it's a ludicrously inadequate supply in the hands of a reluctant distribution team. Tiny little supply with people who don't think it's going to work, and that's how we see it coming into fruition, come into reality. A crowd is hungry. Jesus makes them full, gives them abundance. With this tiny amount, insignificant amount, that's given to him, five loaves, two fishes, large crowd. And he makes an abundance where there's some left over to the point where an entire, entire people group are satisfied. That happens in this story. That's the way God works. He takes the tiny things and he uses them for powerful displays of redemption. That's what happens in the story. And it's what happens here. And here's what I mean. Small, tiny, insignificant amounts giving and yielding abundance to bless an entire group of people. On October 3rd, Nick Vandermeer and Jared stood on this stage and we had begun our capital campaign. A tiny little church trying to buy this facility and had to raise $4.2 million. And we had started it and kicked it off and had a little traction and then it started to putter and be quiet and slowed down. And on October 3rd, and uh, Nick Vandermeer got up here and said, we've been going about this the entire wrong way. We can't rely on a sleek, sexy capital campaign to buy a $4.2 million building, and nor can we rely effortlessly on some big checks to just roll in. What we have to do is a small church of young people, it's newly established, is everybody just come with your loaves and fishes. Come with what you have because that's the perfect place to see the Lord do something amazing with it. And he did. A tiny church, brand new, very low median age, very low median income, buying a multi-million dollar building. It doesn't make sense. Feeding 5,000 people doesn't make sense. But the God of all things, that's the function of his economy. He's not asking you, hey, does that make sense? Did you connect the dots there? He's saying, are you satisfied? He longs to bring satisfaction to his people. It's not just how he operates in this story. It's how he operates in his personhood. It's how he actually embodies that principle. It's not clear in the text. You just read it. You don't see it. What we see is that there's green grass. Now in that time, in that geography, that means that it's springtime. And in that culture, what's happened in springtime? Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. 
What is Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread? It's a reminder every year, the fact that God did something in the people of Israel. And that something was back in Exodus. And back in Exodus, they were uh, slaves in Egypt. And God said, here's what you need to do. You want deliverance? Here's what you need to do. You need to go and kill the, the, the blemishless lamb, the perfect lamb, slaughter it. Put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. Take the lamb, cook it, eat all of it. Leave nothing behind, you and your whole entire uh, household. Eat it all. And the judgment of God will pass over you because you've said you belong not to yourself, but the perfection of the lamb that represents you. The, the perfection of the lamb that you have eaten. Not even three years later will Jesus go on Passover. Will he break bread that he's given after he's given thanks and give it his, to his disciples? And we see it not in Mark 6, but in Mark 14, eight chapters later. On the first day of the festival, Mark 14, first day of the festival, unleavened bread, when it was customary to practice, uh, to sacrifice the Passover lamb. When they're eating this Passover meal, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 5,000 people on the seashore takes the five loaves, gives thanks, breaks it. Disciples give to everybody else. Passover takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, gives to his disciples. They eat it. Takes the, takes the cup, gives thanks, gives it to them. The blood has it. Same kind of blood that marked the doorway when the people of Israel were in Egypt. Same kind of bread people ate, the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the Passover. You get it, right? After he gave the bread and the wine to his best friends, Hours later, he would be on a wooden cross with his blood shattered over it, his body broken, all so that those disciples who would abandon him would take the news, take the bread, be a distribution source for the good news to all people. He's a shepherd. He's our Passover lamb. Passover lamb, it says, take my body. It's for you. Take my blood. Drink it in. It's the cup of the covenant. Next week, we'll have communion. That's what this is. And it's important to know this. Mark leaves, it has this tiny detail that can we just pass over. Sorry, that, that's a bad word. That we can glance over. Um, he has this tiny detail in the text, and it says, 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. All the people in the crowd ate and were satisfied. Jesus is pointing out the fact the sacrifice on the cross as our Passover lamb satisfies us. 
Nothing is left that you would long, long for, that you need, that you would want because you're utterly satisfied. Jesus did not go to the cross, be sacrificed as the Passover lamb to get you to a zero-sum game. Uh, to, to, to be a whiteboard and just wipe it all away. I'm in a fantasy football league and we had the awards yesterday. Um, the winner got a pot of cash. Um, and the loser had to go to Waffle House for 24 hours. And uh, he had to sit in Waffle House for 24 hours. So um, enough punishment there. But to, to alleviate his pain, he could eat a waffle. For every waffle he ate, that deducted one hour from the 24 hours. Does that make sense? What he did was he had to eat his way out of his punishment. Yes, it's, it's horrific. <laughs> the Lord's Supper represents the fact that God is our Passover lamb. You don't eat it to get out of punishment. You eat it to be satisfied. You eat it to be full. Because you came hungry and you have to go nowhere else because you're full and satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, it's a tall tale. And it's not even about feeding 5,000 people, really. Because the truth of this story that Mark tells us is the fact that you are a God that looks at us with compassion. It's a true tale because you are a God that asks nothing of us but just to sit down. We're out of options. When we sit down, we are in the ample seat to see you move. And you're a God that says, Take what I provide, it will satisfy you. I'm so sorry, Lord, that I'm a fatigued follower and skeptic and grow so unsatisfied so often. This very day, Holy Spirit, would you, by your power and the accomplishment of Christ, remind myself and these, my friends, the fact that our Passover lamb has come and nothing is required of us. And we can feast on him because he offers it for us. Himself. Would you satisfy us, Christ, this day we pray. Amen. Passover lamb has come, and nothing is required of us. And we can feast on him because he offers it for us. Himself. Would you satisfy us, Christ, this day we pray. Amen.